So, dear brothers and sisters, today is the feast of St. John Paul II. Uh, St. John Paul II was really uh, instrumental, like a, uh, a pope of a generation, really, for like all of my youth, through my university years, there had been one pope. We had known the kind of the solidity and the, the predictability, if you will, uh, of, 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 of St. John Paul II with his, with his charisms, you know, just such a, a, a likeable character, so, so incredibly smart as well. Like, I mean, his, his writings are wonderfully deep. I think the church is only really beginning, uh, especially as regards theology of the body, to, to, to delve into the depths of, uh, of the beauty of his writings and his understandings and his teachings. So, uh, the first time I saw Pope John Paul II, I was in a crowded square in St. In, in Peter's there in front of uh, in front of the basilica and he was a small little white dot basically on the horizon right outside the, 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 the main facade there of St. Peter's I was way down the back could barely make out this small white little character and somehow my heart was touched it's the strangest thing it's not like we saw each other when I saw him he really didn't see me uh, it's not that like we had any kind of major conversation or anything but there was something about him that was just tangibly visibly different to meeting other people the man was a saint the man was a saint there was something deeply saintly about him by the time I had learned Italian so I went to Rome in 2000 he died in 2005 um, his speech was already quite uh, slurred it was very difficult to understand him in, in Italian because uh, as in for the first two years, I'm not sure if my Italian was good enough, but then after that, he, just, he was just very indistinct when he spoke. So for his audiences or, or his homilies or anything like that, um, you'd be straining trying to, trying to understand what he was saying. And yet, you'd be touched. You'd be somehow kind of moved by the courage of this man who could say, look, I mean, I'll, uh, he can delegate the homily to anybody he wants, if he wants to. What he chooses to proceed despite this evident weakness this evident illness he pushes on and he reads the homily and does so with uh, with courage and with joy and with as much energy as, as, as he was able to the man was a saint and that doesn't come out of nowhere it doesn't come out of nothing uh, he was born in 1920 in Poland obviously Barowice, and uh, he came from a, a wonderfully prayerful family, but he lost his mom at the age of between eight and nine. He lost his, his own mom. Uh, then he lost his dad. His father died as well uh, when when Carol was relatively young, and he also lost his brother. His brother was a doctor, and he'd been uh, serving patients with with uh, I think scarlet fever. He contracted it himself and died. So Carol, at a very young age, found himself quite alone. Then. In 1939, Poland is invaded by the Nazis, and just, I mean, the whole world just gets turned on its head. Uh, there's a movie made about uh, Carol's life, and it, it shows at the time the soldiers actually riding on horseback, the Polish soldiers riding on horseback into battle against the Nazis. They didn't stand a chance. Like, they got annihilated, they were destroyed. And all of a sudden, Poland finds, it, finds itself occupied by a force which, mm, 
It isn't so much anti-church. They want the church to work with them. So it's not like they're just burning down churches, but they want the church to be under their control. So they will kill anyone who resists. So there's just this hellish scenario or scenes then where, where you know, people left, right and centre are getting killed, where all of their Jewish friends are, getting, are just disappearing. They're getting on trains and no one knows where they're going, but they're not coming back. And again, if they resist, they're shot. There are ghettos set up in different parts of the cities. I mean, like the, the whole, their whole world changed. Uh, also, another aspect of, of, of this was uh, they didn't want the Polish to be educated. So universities were shut down, schools were shut down. Uh, and then they became workers. All of them just became workers for the Nazi regime. Uh, so John Paul II uh, worked in a mine for four years, breaking stones. It's so like it's like when you think things can't get worse. You know, I mean, you've lost, you've lost, you've been through so through so much pain, seeing your own family, uh, one by one die, and then your country is occupied. Okay, after the war, when the Nazis were pushed back and the the, the Russians advanced, they now went out of the frying pan into the fire. Now the Nazis are gone, but now we're communist. So the communists have taken over. So now rather than Jews being exported and all of this, now you have this, this constant surveillance, right, where everything and everyone is being watched. Everything and everyone is being spied on. Uh, where there's this all-encompassing, controlling system that will not tolerate uh, any sort of rebellion or murmurs or, or contrary voices. And in this context, this is when he becomes a priest and, and uh, eventually bishop, eventually cardinal, in this context of absolute yeah, surveillance. And, and they record, the KGB recorded many, many, many of his confessions. They, they bugged his confessional. So they hear him hearing confessions for hours a day as people would come in. And they were looking for something to hold against him, something to accuse him of, some sort of a scandal to blackmail him with. And they're just amazed by the fact that he's able to be so positive and so affirming and so loving and so, if you will, merciful, hour after hour after hour after hour, not telling any of the secrets, confessional secrets that he heard, not speaking badly of the communists, speaking about forgiveness, speaking about love. They were quite surprised by him. They tried to control him, but obviously to no avail. So when he was elected Pope in 1978, no one saw this coming because he was still quite young. And normally, uh, up until that point, I'm not sure how many, but very, very few popes were not, ha had not been Italian up until that point. I think that, that, that one German, one French, I think. Apart from that, I think the, va the vast majority of the popes had been Italian. So a young Polish pope, this was, this was a curveball. Uh, so, and he was sprightly. He was energetic. He was very intelligent, very, very sprachbegabt, very good at languages. Uh, so one of his first, I think, I, think it's, I think it was his first homily, inauguration homily, uh, when he came out and he said, Aprite, anzi, spalancate le porte a Cristo. He says, open, open wide the doors to Christ. And this was like his, uh, a theme for his, his pontificate, you know, open your heart to the Lord. Open your heart to the Lord. Uh, and he was just 
so full of this, so full of this love for the Lord that it was contagious. We meditated a couple of months back, actually, that good people don't just exist like that, fall from the sky, if you will. But there are people who have learned to suffer and learned to love in suffering. And that's where St. John Paul II's unity with the Lord came from. He learned to suffer and learned to love in suffering. And that was what made him different. That was what made him saintly. In 1980, in uh, Parc de Prince in uh, France, in Paris, he arranged a, a meeting with young people. And there were 50,000 young people inside, another 35,000 people, young people outside who didn't manage to get in. And he wanted to listen to them. He wanted them to ask questions. So obviously some of the questions were prepared because he had some written answers. But then a mic was also passed around. And he said, I want to listen to you. I want to know what, what your questions are, what your needs are. So one of the young people came forward and said, uh, ask this question. Why is the church's teaching on sexual ethics so strict? In questions of a sexual nature, the church seems very rigid. Are you afraid, Holy Father? This is 1980, by the way. Are you afraid, Holy Father, that young people will move further and further away from the church because of its teachings on sexuality? Keep in mind, 1980, like this is when everything was still good, right? Uh, and the Pope replied, if you think of this question deeply, so the questions of sexual ethics, going right to the heart of the problem, I assure you that you will realize one thing, which is that this domain only demands made by the church are those bound up with responsible conjugal love. So what is the point he's making is that sexual ethics as regards the church, the reason we teach what we teach is because sexuality, in God's mind, and therefore in the teaching of the church, should be bound up with responsible conjugal love. Responsible conjugal love. She demands that the dignity of the person and the basic social order, she demands what the dignity of the person and the basic social order require. I do not deny that they are demands, but that is the essential point. That man fulfills himself only to the extent that he knows how to impose demands on himself. Man fulfills himself by imposing demands on himself. In the opposite case, he goes away sorrowful. As we've just read in the Gospel, it must be in the Gospel of the day. Permissiveness does not make us happy. The consumer society does not make us happy, and it never will. So this is how he understands sexuality. About you know, We impose uh, an order on ourselves, we impose like, which one could call self-control. So in order to understand the church's teaching on self-control, we, we have to understand like, this life with the spirit, this life in the spirit that gives us self-control. Because otherwise, <clears throat> what are you but just a, an evolved animal that responds to instinct and that's it, uses other people. Actually, Pope John Paul II says the opposite to, to love isn't hatred. The opposite to love is use, to use other people. And even if that use is mutual, it's still use. So he had a deep understanding of sexuality in a way that most, most popes or teachers within the church would, would, would rarely delve into that kind of a depth. But this led to, this meeting in, in 1980, uh, led to an ever-increasing desire in his heart to open the doors to the young people. 
And so in 1986, the World Youth Days start, and they gathered some of the greatest crowds of people for any event ever. Uh, they're just absolutely huge, huge, huge events. Um, when Pope John Paul, Paul II came to Ireland in 1979, so he had just been, he'd only been Pope uh, a year, and he went, went to Dublin, Drogheda, Atlantic Noise, Galway, Knock, Limerick, and Maynooth, uh, bringing out about two and a half to 2.7 million people, about half the population of the whole country, came out to see him in these different places. Why? Why? Because this man was a saint. Because he had learned to love in suffering. He had learned to love seeing his parents and brother die, Nazi occupation, communist regime for decades. He had learned to love in suffering. And this was what made him, this is what, you, what drew his heart to Jesus. This was what made him different. It's not because he was super smart. I mean, these are important things as well. But what made him saintly wasn't that. What made him saintly was his ability to love despite the cross, to love in the cross, to love on the cross. And this is why, to this day, thankfully, he's called St. John Paul the Great for all the, the, in, 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 the incredible efforts he made with his writings and his apostolic visitations and <clears throat> all of his audiences. And one of his audiences, a young person from Ireland, uh, was was there, saw Saint Pope John Paul II and said, Pope John Paul II, have you any idea what you've done for Ireland? And Cardinal Rigali was with the Pope at the time. And he recounts this story that after the young man said, Holy Father, have you any idea what you did for the young people in Ireland? Pope John Paul II turns to him and said, and have you, have the young people of Ireland any idea what they did for the Holy Father? He didn't consider himself anything special. All that he wanted was that people's hearts would know and love the Lord. So we ask today for a deeper love for the church, a deeper love for the Lord, a deeper love for these things that inspired him so much, a deeper love for the Eucharist, a deeper love for our Blessed Lady, a deeper love for the church's teaching. And may St. John Paul II from heaven intercede for each one of us today. Amen.